Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. Over the years, I've admired how my next guest, Justin, has shed layer after layer of his old self, continuously growing and evolving. He's been a personal trainer for over 11 years and been in the online space coaching with a focus on nutrition, habits, and mindset for over 15 years. He has competed in over 15 bodybuilding shows, and more recently, he's ventured into neuroscience, studying in Sweden and the States. Years ago, drinking was a big part of Justin's life. And as most of us can probably agree, if you've been through a drinking or partying season at some point in your life, it's usually a accompanied with stories that include friends, laughter, and a whole lot of fun. But there can also be stories that are filled with shame, embarrassment, and guilt. Years ago, Justin was in a dark place. He faced countless court appearances, which ended up costing him over $20,000 in lawyer's fees, two years of probation where he couldn't leave the province without a letter, 60 hours of community service, and a restoration order of over $17,000 to pay. Things weren't exactly going well. A few things happened that caused Justin to shift his perspective on life and spark a change, which we'll dive into a little later. But here's the thing. Once he was ready to make those changes, creating the new habits and forming new circle, social circles would be the hardest part of his transformation. He was extremely lonely, bored, and alone for years. And even after he changed, people still saw him as the older version of himself. So how did he stay the course? How did he get from A to Z? And what does his life look like today? We are going to get into all of that. So thank you for being here. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today and dive into all of the things. Holy crap. What an intro. Uh, Yeah, that's (laughs) awesome. Uh, Thank you for all of that. And uh, I'm excited to kind of just open up and, uh, and chat about all of that good stuff and see where it goes. Awesome. I'm so happy to have you here. I know you speak and you kind of post things publicly, which I really admire about you because I think um, when you share, you invite others to kind of open up themselves and give them space to uh, reevaluate and look at their lives and hopefully create some changes as well. So can you take us back and talk about what your life looked like before this transformation had started? Um, I would say it was a pretty typical life of uh, early 20s, mid 20s, oil field worker in northern Canada, right? You're loaded with money, you're loaded with toys, you've, you've got, you know, all the good stuff, you don't have to worry about a thing. And then you just kind of expand your social circle by going out and drinking. That's how you kind of meet new friends is heading out, right? And then as that circle expands, Um, you can either, you know, dive deeper if you want, or just find that balance with work and play. And I think it depending on your environment and growing up and how restrictive you were for, you know, we were very strict Christians growing up. So I wasn't allowed to do stuff on the weekends. Church was always Sundays, you know, no sleepovers on Saturdays. It had to be, had to be Fridays, couldn't miss church. And I think kind of when you're, when you just kind of open up and explore the world yourself, there's so much there. And once again, it depends on your environment and who you are and who you grow up and what type of person you are. If you want to explore it, it's there. If you don't want to, it's not there. And I think everybody has some insecurity issues through high school and all that fun stuff. And I never felt confident until my mid twenties. Like I never felt confident and the bar and drinking and going out helped me find that confidence that I've never had in myself before. And once I found that and knew that I, you could say I exploited that. (laughs) Wanted more. I know. I think we can all agree. I think a lot of us, even the people who maybe you look at through high school or growing up that they appear to have this like incredible life. um, I think all of us have those insecurities and just try to make it through high school to the other side of it when you can kind of truly 
um, be who you are. I think once you get out of high school, then this freedom opens up where you can uh, be more authentic or dive into different things. Um, because maybe you're not in this container where all the judgment, um, and other people's opinions of you aren't as close. Maybe like when you got that freedom, how old were you when you actually, um, kind of broke out of your upbringing, got the freedom and then ran with it? Yeah. So I would say when I moved to Grand Prairie in 2004, um, so I moved here when I was 23, I, I was still, you know, you could say I've had some freedom and already kind of, I've done some stuff, but I never really drank. I, I, I never got drunk yet at this point. And then 2005, I'm working out in the gym because I've always loved the gym, right? 2005. So I've been working out for nine years already. And uh, I got approached. Uh, I don't know if I should say people's names. I don't know. But by the managers of the corral at the gym. And they're like, hey, we need a Santa Claus. Uh, we'll pay you in alcohol. And uh, you just we just need you at the bar. And I never really went out. Like I went out a few times and, and, and stuff like that. But I never... I always kind of put work first or made sure that, you know, the bills were paid and I was working towards my future. I still had goals, right? Like I want to buy a house. I want to do this. I, and, and then once I kind of got that invite and I had my first free bar experience where my tab was paid and just, you know, um, and all that fun stuff, it was like a Christmas promo. I was Mr. Claus and there was a Mrs. Claus and then people would pay five bucks for a Polaroid picture. It went to, it went to a donation. It went to some charity, and then drank there forever. And then I started working there. And I think once I started working the bar, when you're, you know, half good looking, you have have confidence, and you got some muscle, uh, you you kind of grow your circle really fast, because people will use you so they can get in the bar and the VIP door. So you get to know everybody. And when you get to know everybody, you start to feel a little bit invincible or a little bit unstoppable. I'm kind of jumping ahead a few years, but it was just something I've never felt before. And as you said, you kind of have that pressure from high school. You just need to get through. I feel the years after high school were quiet, but it wasn't really until the bar scene for me uh, until that really, I really found out uh, what I was about to explore. And so were you still surrounded by your family and your old circle when you'd moved to Grand Prairie or were they in another, um, living somewhere else? Yeah, that's, that's really great. So, um, when I, that was a good question because when I left Fort St. John, uh, when I was 23, um, I was engaged earlier that year, we broke up. Uh, my buddy was telling me, Hey, move to GP you need a fresh start. And I was just kind of hanging on. Um, some social circles with my friends wasn't going that great at the time. And then I was just like, you know what, I've got nothing here anymore. I might as well. So everything fit into my little pickup truck and I moved here and slept on the floor for six months uh, of a place that I had rented. But no, it was a brand new circle. I didn't have anybody. And I guess that's one of the things that pulls you into is when I moved here, I didn't know anybody, didn't know what to do. So every night, for like a year and a half, two years, I went to the casino uh, every night. So, and that's a lot of money and, and that starts a lot of addiction as well. So were you addicted to gambling and also alcohol or like the addiction of just like the confidence and, um, kind of being seen or like, what were some of the addictions that pulled you in? Yeah, I guess first off, the just gambling straight up is very exciting to me. Uh, the fact that you can double, triple your money or, you know, in, in just one spin or, or one hand or one roll of the die is pretty exciting. That I like, I like risk. Um, so that was appealing. Um, for me, nothing really, I didn't really drink at the casino yet. Um, I just need, needed to be around people. I just needed to be out or, or meet people. Um I forget the second half of your question. Um, was there anything else like that you were addicted to like confidence oh. or. Yeah. I think the bar just going out, like when you're not really confident in yourself, that can be a lot of things that can be like relationship wise or physical wise or kind of attributes and stuff like that. And I felt I was skilled. Like I did a lot of sports, you know, I have a music background. I like art, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of well-rounded, but I just never felt confident about myself uh, kind of in a crowd. 
And when you're at the bar and you have, you know, you're intoxicated or other people are intoxicated, you know, people just kind of say things that are easier to say that isn't. And that environment was just nice to be around because you're, you know, you're, you're liked or people will, will hit on you or it's just a fun environment where everybody is kind of, their inhibitions are a little bit lower. And I just found that easier to kind of, um, like accept that, that, that environment. Cause it made me feel really good. Okay. So you're feeling good. You've got your, your social circle is growing. You're out and about meeting different people. So when did things start to go sideways for you? All right. Well, uh, I'll dig into this a touch. Um, so when all, when everything's rolling good for you and you're on top of the world, I just kept expanding my circle. And kind of at this point, it was starting to get gang associated, where I I was kind of associated with several different clubs. And that is fun. That is even more risky. So as I said about my gambling addiction, I like high risk. So then same thing when you're out and about, about, about the bar, or even when I'm going bar hopping myself, and you're kind of meeting the most riskiest of the riskiest, or, but that's exciting to me. Like, I, I like that environment. And things started to get a little bit deep with that, I think for about a year. And I just immersed myself in it. You know, like it can be the power. It can be how you feel like I could walk into any bar with no ID and no money and leave absolutely sloshed and have, you know, do whatever I want. And that started to happen. And, you know, I would abuse that. And I started to drink so much where I wouldn't remember what happened. I would wake up. I remember at times I'd wake up and I'd run to the front window and be like, oh, my truck is here. How did that happen? Or I remember waking up and there's like blood everywhere and my fists hurt. I'm like, oh, what did happen in my lip? And it got really scary where I was starting to put other people's safety at risk that had no business, like I had no business, you know, starting any business with them. I just felt on top of the world and I had a backing behind me that could influence, uh, you know, any decision of a, of a bar manager or the scene. So I rode with that. I rode with that for a long time. I rode with it hard and yeah, that's pretty life-changing. That's pretty deep. Mm, So were, was anybody else like from your former circle or your family, did they notice these changes in you or were you, were you able to kind of turn it off when you were with them and then turn it back on when you got in these environments? Yeah, the good question too. So I never had any family and grandparents there in Fort St. John. That's kind of where they were born and raised and moved here from. So they were two hours away. So anytime anyone would visit, you have enough time to clean up or kick people out of the house or clean up after the party. Um, my house would be the house we kind of pre-drank at and maybe post-party that too as well. So it was always busy and there's always people here. But um, I didn't really, all my friend circle in Grand Prairie kind of at this point was bar friends from when I met just working the bars or just being casually out. So I wouldn't say that they were kind of, um, friends outside of the circle of, of where I was at right now, but there have been a few staple friends who've been there through this part when a lot kind of pulled back and saw the road I was going down and being like, Hey, uh, I don't want to be associated. I don't want to see Justin anymore. He's hanging out with some shady people. I just don't want to be around that. Everything's unpredictable. I don't want to be around that. So I think people would back off at times, depending on who I was out with, but you always have that friendly, Hey, or hello. Like people always say hi, whether or not they, they casually drink with you or not. So I would say more, more easily, I could turn it on or off depending on, but at this point, I didn't really have a deep friend circle yet here in GP. Mm, That's where I was going to touch on. You said, you know, people were friendly, knew you, you had your bar friends, Um, did you have any deep connections or relationships at this point? Like people that you actually could have deep conversations with and dig into all the things, or were you just kind of like surface level, um, with all of these people that were in your circle? Yeah. So the ones that kind of, you hang out a little bit more or will come to the house to party and, or drive you around or be like some people were just big suck ups and just wanted to be a part of the spotlight. Oh, if I hang out with so-and-so and even myself too, if I hang out with this person, more people will see me or that group will see me. So there were people like that, but I would say, yeah, there was, there's probably like five or 10 
handful of core friends where I could I could count on. And there's probably about five from there right now that are still with me and been by my side through all of it. So that's kind of neat to see and sometimes pick their brains about it on, hey, man, like, why would you stay by my side through all of that? Um, we might touch on that, that later. We might not. But yeah, I would say a very small group of, of the many people were deep friendships. Okay. So you are, yeah, living the life in the limelight. Um, you're waking up though, some days, like wondering how your truck got home, who you got in a fight with the night before, like did like, what was that? Like, was there any shame or guilt or embarrassment that like kind of took over on those nights where you woke up and you didn't remember parts of the night or. Yeah. If you let yourself dwell on that, yes, those thoughts will come. But what's easier is going back to your addictions to get rid of that feeling, right? So um, it's so funny because I would never call myself an alcoholic. I probably was four or five blackout nights a week. <laughs> but when I was drinking, you, you say to yourself, oh, I can stop anytime. So I never really called myself an alcoholic until I quit and looked back or saw the time commitment. So when I was living in that, in that lifestyle, I was like, no, it's not bad. Alcohol's not bad. Um, so when I do wake up the next morning and be like, Oh God, what happened? And then hear some stories or go, I'll see some messages or emails or Facebooks being like, Hey, I've got your phone. I've got your wallet. Can you, you know, they're at my house if you ever need them or I'll drop it off at 11 tomorrow. You know, you know, the first couple hours are like the first initial checking your phone and all that. And you're like, Oh man, that was a bad night. Well, better call the boys and drink it away. Like it was just a horrible cycle. And you know, mental health wasn't talked about as much and how to deal with stress and how to cope. We've, we were never taught that in schools. And so you just do what's easiest. Like the body loves doing what's easiest. Um, so, and then the easiest thing is just to, to drown it away again. Right. So what do you think, like in addiction, usually you're like covering something up or running away for, from something or not dealing with things that are at the forefront. Like, what do you think that it was for you that, you were trying to get away from or not sit with? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I think I've thought about this before. And I think the biggest thing or the deepest root is be, is just not reaching my potential. You know, I, I believed in myself so much even then. I knew that there would be great things. I could do great things. I could reach out and help change people's lives, but I wasn't doing it. So feeling that just if I keep myself busy drinking, or if I just, I just, I just need to get this day over with, I'll just, you know, and then, oh, no, I'll deal with the next day, I'll just get it over with. And then you don't, right? Just putting it off. I, I've thought about this lots before. And yeah, I think there's, you know, there could be childhood reasons, you know, there could be family reasons, there could be friend reasons, you know, traumatic experiences growing up, um, and stuff like that. I don't feel those were big factors. But I do feel that I know that I can do great things. And it, it bugged me so much. I'm a perfectionist. And it's it, like I have 100 things to do on my to-do list every day. And I get like seven done. And every day <laughs> I'm like, oh, why? Why? I know I can do more. So I think, honestly, that was the biggest reason is, Justin, what are you doing? You're stupid for doing all this. Like, put your life, like, you can, there's so much you can do. There's so many great things. And I knew it and I could feel it. And so like to my core, I knew that I was meant for something else. And I just kept drowning that voice. I kept ignoring it. Mm. And what were those things for you back then? Like, what was it that you're like, I know I've got more in me. I know that I have these big uh, goals. What were those at that time? Yeah, I, nothing specific. It was more of a feeling where... And once again, this might sound a little bit cocky or might sound a bit confident, but I want like I wanted to serve or I wanted to help. So I would be remembered. I wanted to be a name. And I never really had an idea like I might have made them. I might have been invited to Hollywood. Right. I, I might have you know done something great for some people physically as a trainer and this and that or changed somebody's life. I never had anything specific. I just knew that I could do anything if I put my mind to it. I could I could do anything. And that bothered me a lot that I wasn't doing anything. Mm, and that mindset actually played into your transformation, like that you knew that if you set your mind to it, like you said, um, 
your discipline that you had through your bodybuilding shows, um, and making this transformation, like some of those skills that you had helped in transforming, um, the person that you were into who you are today. So what was like the rock bottom? What were those moments where you're like, I mean, you had almost $40,000 to pay within lawyers fees and restoration. And, you know, you were in the court, like, was that the rock bottom or was there something else that was like, okay, this is enough. This has got to change. I've got to tap in to, you know, I want to be remembered not as Justin Riley, the partier, um, but Justin Riley, the, whatever it was that you wanted to create for yourself. Yeah, there was, um, so none of that, the lawyers, the courts and, and all that stuff that was just gradual. Like that, that wasn't all, all at once dumped on me. So it was manageable. Like you could still brush it off. Um, like I remember I was on probation and I was drunk, got out on a hundred and a hundred and I flashed the vehicle next to me. Like I got out, ran beside this minivan, just lifted my shirt. And then it was an undercover cop in a minivan. So he comes around, arrests me. And then I shouldn't have been drinking at the time. Like I had a whole bunch of rules. And then I got released at midnight and I went back to the bar. Like it was just so dumb. Like I could brush all that off. The moment that got me was a single moment is I got into a nasty bar fight at 3 a.m. one night. And this was, this was like life-changing. Like there was, there was weapons there. There was two, uh, two sides, uh, two associations there. Like it was a dark place. And I tore my ACL. I tore my knee in the fight. And the cops came to the parking lot and I hobbled away. And I'm at home and my leg is just swelled so much. I'm like, I know I need to go to the hospital. Went to the hospital. They said, you're fine. Went home. You know, two, three days passed and my knee was killing me. So I went back and then they found out that I tore my ACL. And what happened is I couldn't walk. I couldn't put any pressure on my knee and all this stuff. And I'm laying in bed every day. So I went to being on top of the world. You're going out all the time. I'm, when was this? I was 28 or 29, 28. I'm laying in bed. Can't use my knee. I have a house. I got laid off two months ago, but I still had some money in the bank. So I was partying it away. And I'm laying in my bed and it's like, Justin, you're almost 30. You have a mortgage. You've been in your house for a week and no one has really swung by. What is going on? Like, this isn't it. And that was the moment there that for me, it was just like, I'm done. Like this, this doesn't serve me anymore. I, I I'm almost 30. Uh, uh, the good years have gone fast. I only have a few good years left. But I think every year is good. Like the older you get, the better life gets. But that's a different thing. And I just said to myself, you know, that's it. I'm done. And um, so uh, there, like the, the game that I was kind of associated with the most, I went that I, I said uh, to the people, I was like, hey, guys, I'm out. I'm done. And what happens when you want to leave? <laughs> they don't like it. Right. So. I, at this point, I wasn't, I didn't tell myself I'm going to quit drinking yet. I just knew I needed to clean up my life, change my friend circle. These per people weren't serving me. I need to get a healthy body back and I need to find work. I need to do something. And when you stop making people money and you stop being like the, the level of involvement I had was pretty high. So, you know, everything that's going on. And then when you leave, that's not good. So every time I went out after this, they wanted to make my life harder. So I now would be sucker punched by them and get in fights with them with the same friends that I'd just been hanging out with the last, you know, one, two, three, four, five years. And it got really dark. I couldn't go out anymore without getting jumped or without fighting my friend, my ex-friends and associations and people that, you know, that carry weapons with them all the time of all sorts. It got dangerous. It got scary. So what was really great about that blessing is it wasn't an option to go out anymore. And if it's not an option to go out anymore, to quit something or to reduce your addiction, it, it makes it a lot easier. Um, so when people ask, how are you so successful? 
I never really dived into it. I was like, well, geez, I, w- I would get sucker punched by three guys and soccer kicked on the ground until I, you know, could get my way up and out somehow. Yeah, that's going to make you stop drinking pretty easy if you always come home with a busted hand. Um, so that was the catalyst that got me going. And then, like you said before, the bodybuilding aspect, if I reach back to my early 20s and my younger years, you know, I was disciplined. I, I ate the meals I had to eat. Not that I wanted to eat. I had to for my goals. And it wasn't that I liked those meals. It was just that my goal was bigger than my taste buds. And that's kind of what I had to put forward here is getting me to where I want to be physically and mentally is bigger than any action I've done lately. It's bigger than my friends. It's bigger than, than going to the bar and this and that. And that just kind of made it easy to move forward. And then as we, you kind of talked about in the intro, the, the hardest part about that was no, I didn't have any more friends. They were all bar friends. So I was basically at my house or home alone. Now, now for other people who are listening that are my friends, yes, there was a few of you that were there by my <laughs> side the whole way through. I'm not ignoring that, but Basically for one to three years, it was lonely and boring. And it was one of the hardest things I've had to do mentally. Mm. So did you have like at that point, I mean, you had to sit still, which is, you know, and reevaluate your life when you have an injury like that, um, can't mask all of the things with the alcohol and partying going out. So yeah, what a blessing that, you know, you had that inner pull in you. So now was the time to um, I guess, take the action, but being in that space, like you said, with out the friends anymore, you, um, are by yourself bored and lonely. Like what action did you take during that time to propel yourself forward? And was there any healing needed, uh, before you could actually dive into the things that you were excited about? Yeah, uh, I'm going to lose track here because there's so much to talk about with that. Um, So what happened is I got, this is 2009, 2010. I got addicted to an online game and I spent like 16, 20 hours at my desktop computer gaming this online game. And it was horrible, but it kept me out of that. So I switched one addiction for another and I had a roommate or two at the time. And, you know, I got made fun of a lot. I think it was like five months because, you know, I had my knee, I was waiting for surgery. I couldn't do much. And the other part that helped me move forward. And I think there's a lot of keys that we have to look at that what propelled us or the whys is I had a mortgage and I'm not working and I can't work. And who's going to hire somebody on crutches. And then I came like, it was, um, I think it was nine months or 11 months before I had my first surgery. Like I, they misdiagnosed my knee for like three months before it really, they figured out. And then I had to go on the waiting list for surgery. So I had this mortgage and my mortgage was like 2,500 bucks and I was in the oil field. So I had my rate really high for my mortgage. I'm like, yeah, I can pay that. No problem. So I had to adapt. I had to, and this is how I coach my nutrition clients is everything is an option unless you don't make it an option, right? So if cheating on your diet, if having Oreos at home, that's a choice and that's an option. If you have them at home, chances are you're going to eat them. So I had to pay for my mortgage. I have no choice but to pay for my mortgage. So it's like, I need to do something. So I started a prepackaged food business because of my bodybuilding days. So I made chicken meals, beef meals, steak meals, and fish meals. And I vacuum seal them, freeze them, and sell them to people. And I, I got that because everybody, like, I was still eating healthy at times, like throughout this whole bar time. I still competed a few times during the bar times. It, it wasn't good. Like my, my, my performances on stage definitely reflected me drinking. But I still had everything of my, my deep health and fitness roots that I just haven't done anything with. And I had to make a crap ton. I don't know if we're allowed to swear. I had to yes. make a whole bunch of meals to even make that mortgage. And I was making money illegally in the past. And I couldn't really do that anymore. And I, I needed to find, like, I, I didn't have that option anymore. So I had to do other things. And I'm super thankful that 
Um, my family played a huge role. My sister played a huge role because at this time when I'm laying in my bed, I'm depressed. My mail is piling up. My debts are piling up. Like, it, like things aren't good. Like you just want to go drink, but I didn't have that option. And I would ignore phone calls from my, from my family. That felt the worst when I'd see that my mom is calling, but you know, I don't have any electricity because I've got shut off and Alcaterra is coming tomorrow to shut it off. Like, what, what am I going to tell my mom? Like, is she coming here? I'm just going to hide. And my sister had a few good chats with me. She showed up with my stepdad unannounced because I didn't answer my phone from Port St. John. And my sister spent all afternoon going through the mail. And my dad drove me around town paying, paying all my bills to get everything going again, like insurance for the truck and the backup, uh, you know, electricity for months and all that stuff. And that was a really low moment, but it brought so much light to when you're down and in the dumps and in your darkest times, there are people who want to help you, who want to hear from you, but we will just never look up. We'll just never reach out. And they're there. And my sister had said some really powerful words that I'll never forget. I won't share them. Uh, um, and it helped me push through the hard times. It's like, okay, I've got a mortgage. I've got to go get this job. I've got to, I've got to provide income somehow. And that's what kept me going was my family. And same thing for other people listening. There's about five core of you friends who stuck through me during this period and helped me out immensely. Um, so the big lesson here too, is if you're feeling down, if you're feeling out, you feel no one is there for you. That's how we felt for years. There are people who are bugging you and texting you and calling you that you're ignoring that you just can't see right now, but they're there. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Because when sometimes you get into that dark space, it can be hard to put yourself out there and be vulnerable. And, you know, sometimes there's so much shame and guilt that follow um, you on the journey that like reaching out and actually asking for help, which is there and people would be glad, um, to jump on board and help you is such a hard thing to do. So I'm glad you brought a uh, light to that. Yes. If you are going through a hard time and you are in the darkest of the dark and you are alone, I mean, there are 7 billion people on the fat on the planet. And I mean, I've been in spots where I'm like, how can I feel so lonely? And how can I feel so alone in these, you know, when I'm going through certain things, when there's 7 billion people on the planet, it's just a crazy thing. But I mean, um, once we step outside of ourselves and, you know, there's, you know, in your mind, it just can go in these circles. Once you let go of that and just actually reach out for help. I mean, there is so much help out there you just sometimes have to access it or uh, like your sister and dad did bombard you like how lovely. And if you're in that spot too, where you have a friend or a family member or someone who you recognize is falling off the face of the planet, not returning your texts, you're worried about them, then um, go and check on them and see if they are doing okay or could use some help. Cause you know, it's hard to ask for help. So sometimes you just got to, you know, nudge your way in there to show them the light. There is another side. Yeah, exactly. And on that note, if you are feeling like a friend is down and out, ask them twice. Hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Hey, are you okay? Uh, like it all, like that's what you got to do with me sometimes. Um, so this was like 10 years ago. Now for my mental health, what I do is I have a few friends that I can call or text and just say, Hey, I, I just need some help right now. I just need to chat. I just need to, I just need to chat or, Hey, I just need to hear you talk, man. <laughs> Tell me about your day. And that, you know, that can help. So as you said, back then I didn't reach out. My sister and stepdad came and they, they reached out, which I don't know. I'm pretty stubborn. I don't think I would have reached out, <laughs> but thankfully I have some, some good family roots, right? A good relationship with my sister. So I, I think that's important too, is no matter where you are in life, you do have one or two core friends that you can call at all times. Uh, and if you don't, you know, it's time to, to build on that because we're kind of like a tribal society, a community when it comes down to it. We need others to grow. Um, you know, we live in, a, as you said, 7 billion people plus. We have cell phones, social medias. You're always connected. 
But if you walk outside and you don't say hi to anybody or you don't know anybody outside of your home and your cell phone, um, it, it gets lonely. And that loneliness plays with you. Like when I was in, in, in bed with my knee and couldn't move it for a few weeks or months, you, you, those thoughts, being alone with negative thoughts is horrible because you start believing it. Oh, I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy to figure. I don't. My mom. I, I don't want my mom to see me like this. I don't want my sister to know my situation. And you just start shaming and guilting yourself. And that I would. I would say that's normal thought pattern. I just wouldn't say it, it's correct thought pattern, right? We we can be positive as well too. But environment and growing up and, and stuff like that plays a big role in mindset. And once again, I just want to thank bodybuilding for the the discipline and the nutrition and working out and eating the foods you don't want to and doing the cardio when you don't want to doing what you don't want to get what you want helps gives you so many tools for the future and, and what you want to do and be. Okay. So let's go there. You, your sister and your dad kind of, um, got you out, started this journey out of this dark place. Um, and it's 10 years later now, like you were lonely for years um, and then you started to, you know, take some action and do some different things and tap into your, um, you're doing coaching, um, personal training, like how did you kind of get there and where are you at today? Yeah. So I've always done kind of online coaching, even through this time, I would probably look back and say my performance as a coach uh, probably wasn't good. A lot of the times for my clients, um, but it's online. So, you know, you can, it's a different mind frame when you're just typing versus seeing people in line. Um, there was a company that reached out to me right before surgery saying they needed some personal trainers at their facility. And I never wanted to be a personal trainer, like growing up in the nineties and the early two thousands, my vision of personal trainer is somebody with a clipboard and they look bored out of their mind and they're just counting somebody's reps. And I was like, Nope. Um, with a bunch of convincing, I went down to the facility, checked it out. I'm like, Hey, this is actually pretty cool. I've never heard of a private training studio before. Like the people just come here to train and leave. Like there's no memberships. This is weird. And I went back to my roots. I went back to what made me happy. Uh, there's a neuroscience book, um, and it's just called play. And it's amazing because as we grow, as adults, we are told not to play as much in the workplace, you know, be, you know, act like an adult at the table, this and that. And finding play again, you know, it just brought so much joy. So I was able to play personal train. Like I love training. I love being in the gym with clients. And that found, it got me closer to my center. It got me closer to where I needed to be. It got me closer to the path I should be on. And I like what you said at the beginning and my intro, you said something about my journey and A to Z, but I want to say I'm only at G or K right now. Like there's so much <laughs> more potential. I don't think I'm at Z yet. Z. Okay. I love and that. I just think it's so cool. Like, I just like when you said A to Z, I was like, hang on. Like there's so much more I want to do. I'm at A to G. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, but, th but that was it. I went to my roots. I went to what makes me happy, not Hey, what makes other people happy so they accept me? What makes me happy? And I went to this training facility. It was awesome. I went to another one. It was pretty cool as well. And then three of my friends within a month, without knowing each other, um, they said, hey, if you ever want to start your own studio, I'll back you financially. So when three different people who didn't talk about it amongst themselves say that, I was like, okay, yeah, like this is my passion. This is what I want to do. And taking the focus off me because I am pretty selfish. I am pretty cocky slash confident and using a lot of that energy to help others find themselves or others, you know, get in better shape or to feel good again, or to, you know, in a healthier proper way. And I, when I say healthier, I mean more so mentally too. Um, that just brought me so much joy. I was like, ah, here's one of my purposes is I have a lot of knowledge. I have a lot of wisdom. Um, I can help people with that. And I think the personal training really helped stay on track. And it was social. I was able to see people and get out of my house and then go home and be alone. Because at times I do my, need my alone time too, because you can only give so much. And that's like, okay, I need to recharge. So 
I think finding that journey, the, the personal training journey and helping others was, was one of the best catalysts ever to, to get me back on track and to grow to where I found it was okay to share my experiences when I'm talking with people one-on-one because when you're kind of half in good shape and stuff like that, people think you've never failed. Oh, you just eat great all the time or everything's perfect. And then you start sharing stories of failure or myself cheating on a diet or not doing very well when I wanted to diet and and stuff like that. People are like, Oh, you're, you're not super human. Like you're human. (laughs) Yeah. We all put people on pedestals. And when you're on a pedestal by people, it's just, sometimes it's annoying. It's like, no, I'm one of you. I have failed a lot. And that's where the Facebook post comes in where I share a lot is I find talking about some deep rooted problems I've been through and issues and struggles, everybody has been through or of the like, and they just hearing others who you look up to, or you might favor, or you think are invincible Uh, Because a lot of people don't know my story from 10, 11, 12 years ago now. A lot of people that maybe just found out of me two, four, five years ago. So they don't know all of this. And it's just, I love it when I I post every November about being sober another year. I get so many private messages being like, man, that's inspiring. I've just done 60 days and I feel fantastic. Or I'm on three years. Or And people will share their stories with me. And I think everybody needs to share their struggles more because as I said earlier, that's kind of where we find ourselves in the dark places is if, if we move forward properly is that the, all the hard times in life are the catalysts for, for great down the road. Mm, I totally agree with that. I mean, there's so much light in other people's stories and they're so powerful, can have such an impact on others. Um, yeah, I just want to touch on what I said, like when I was writing the intro, initially I was like, <laughs> Um, getting from point A to B. And then I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not like an A to B journey. Everything that he's went to, it's like A to Z. But as you said, I love how you touch on that. Like you're at G and something that you had mentioned, um, not in the podcast, but before um, in booking the podcast was that you still, something along the lines, like you still are reaching for your further potential. Like you're, you're not here. You're not staying here. You're not stagnant. Like you're continuously growing, evolving, shedding layers, changing, um, getting new perspectives. So, um, what, what is some of that, um, are some of your goals or what are you working towards in the future? Yeah. So you, you made me describe myself in three words and I was like, geez, what do I put? And then I kind of had three words like that. I think I put reaching for potential. Mm, Maybe yeah. I changed potential because I didn't like it. But my first thought, my, my first three words I had, it made me sound whiny and complainy. I was like, no, reaching for a great, I don't know. But for me, it's like when I was watching WWF growing up as a kid, I wanted to be a wrestler. I was like, I can do that. I want to do that. That's super cool. You know, and then I grew up, you know, and then other sports I'd be like, I want to do that. That's super cool. Like I found like I, I, I did soccer, baseball and basketball in elementary school. And then junior high came around and I started to skateboard. I started to wakeboard. I started to BMX and I got into the extreme sports because well, don't get me wrong to be really skilled at basketball, soccer, baseball, it's a lifetime, but extreme sports like skateboarding, you're always evolving. You take one trick and you try to add another to it or a new twist or like there's unlimited tricks. So growing up, I did all of those sports like snowboarding and, and, and motocross as well. And you just keep trying new stuff. And that's kind of where the mindset comes from in bodybuilding as well. And what I tell my clients is there's no finish line with the body. People will come to me and be like, hey, I want to lose 30 pounds. I'm like, okay, awesome. And then through our journey together, they'll get to their goal and realize that there might be something else. Oh, hey, now I want to lift. I want to be stronger. That's kind of fun. Or somebody be like, I want to run an endurance race. I've been out of shape my whole life and now I've lost this weight. So there, that's, that's what I tell my clients over and over again. There is no finish line with the body, with life, with learning. And when I was a personal trainer, well, I still am. So as a personal trainer, I got excited about seeing people get new PRs and lifting more and discovering themselves. And then I fell into some neuroscience work, which was mentioned in my bio. And that's kind of like taking pain away instantly with the body through, through the brain and helping people move better when they couldn't before. 
And now for me, it's so neat seeing people being like, oh, I've had this knee pain forever. And then we do some weird eye drill and they're like, oh man, my knee pain is gone. And it's like, okay, we just sharpened the brain. We just worked out the brain. So uh, helping people be like pain-free or move better is kind of more rewarding than seeing somebody squat, you know, more than they ever have before. They're both awesome, but it's just neat the progression we have. So for me, there's no finish line with my goals. Like when I reach a goal, it's like, well, I could have done it better or I could have had a bigger reach or I could do this now, which will serve more people. Um, so really just to say, where am I going? I want my reach to be further so people can understand themselves and be happier faster. I, I don't know. I don't know what I want. I don't think I'll ever know, but I feel that as long as I keep, I, I'll, I'll use the word serve. I have a gratitude journal. I, I, this is just audio, isn't it? Yeah. But here, here it is, right? And the, the top of the things it says, um, I'm grateful for, and it talks about three things. And then the second part is, this is called the six minute diary that I got off Amazon. The second part is, this is how I'll make today great. And almost every day in there, I write the word serve. It, it just seems appropriate, like, or putting in intention into my actions, um, me make, making things meaningful. And I don't know what the, the end goal is or the big goal. Like I have lots of awesome ideas and tasks and things I want to, I want to do, but I, I don't think there's an end to it. And I don't think it's definite. I think maybe in five years, I'll ditch the whole health industry and, and get into something else. And I don't care as long as it makes me happy and, and serves and is of use for others. To me, I think that's, that's more important now is to give others some stuff, some substance or something to take away from. Um, and that is what kind of makes me happy. Mm, I love that. And using what your passion is following, what makes you happy to then serve others, which yeah, just creates waves in the world. So yeah. inspiring. Actually, I'll just say one more thing too, is um, what I find too is, is, is really rewarding. And I think when we talk about happiness, sometimes it's false happiness that we chase, but when we kind of learn true happiness is random acts of kindness is a big part of my life. And that was introduced to me by Holly. Uh, she does that a lot. But random act of kindness, when you just out of the blue, give somebody, you know, a gift card or pay for their meal or do something like that. Um, I find so much joy and so much reward in that. So, you know, being able to provide financially for that, you know, like, like really big, like, it's so cool giving somebody a massive gift card and they're like, well, are you serious? Like what? And then it's just like, yeah, you know, happy random act of kindness day and just walk away. I find that so rewarding that a lot of my drive comes to serving others. And I just, I just think that doing that for the community is just fantastic. And I think if others can kind of get on that train and just that little bit of kindness towards others in some sort of sense goes a long way. And, and I think that's just fantastic too. Mm, I completely agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> kindness goes a long way. You never know what somebody is going through or what they've been through or, you know, the struggles and yeah, it just takes a moment to, um, think about how you can serve or be kind or change someone else's day. And I mean, then it, um, does something inside of you, but for them too, like to know somebody, yeah, is out there, inspire them to do something kind also. Yeah. Okay. I have a couple, um, closing questions for you, All righty. which I've named, um, better ask Riley. Ooh, I like <laughs> this it. Is our round. Okay. So my first question is what would your perfect workout look like? What would my perfect workout look like? Yes. Uh, I don't have anyone in particular, but I love workout. So I used to go to some lifting. This might be a long answer. I don't know. I used to go to some lifting camps that um, my ex-coach or some other coaches used to put on. So like a coach would just say, hey, you know, limited spots, 20, 30, 40 people. My perfect workout is meeting those Instagram and social media people that you follow and then actually going to meet them. And I've done that um, four different times. 
uh, at these lifting camps. And it's just an amazing experience. So it's not so much what to dancer's is legs. We'd have to work out legs, squats, lunges, deadlifts, <laughs> let's give it all. Um, it would be a leg workout, but it's just so neat to work out with people who you follow and idolize or put on a pedestal and then get to meet them in person. That's my perfect workout. Uh, it sounds amazing. That connection you're getting yeah. that, um, expanding your social social circles and getting that connection, um, during your workouts, which is or so cool. even sometimes you meet the people and they're totally different online and they're worse to be with in person. And that's not a <laughs> joyous experience. Uh, You're like, I, won't, <laughs> I won't say if that's happened or not, but yeah, that could happen too. Uh, yeah. Mentioning for a friend for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you could eat only three foods for the rest of your life, what would they be? Does it have to be healthy food or no, can it be anything any food? Oh, um, geez, three foods. Ah, uh, well now I'm just going blank, but one would be pizza. Uh, I don't think I can go without pizza. Um, this is harder than I thought. Like normally I could list off a whole bunch of things. Um, even though it's, just an omelet and fried potatoes. What I eat every day is my omelet and fried potatoes. I guess I'm already eating one of the three foods that I would eat every day. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the last one's got to be like Chinese food or sushi. I don't know. I'm gonna leave it at that. So I have like <laughs> four, but I but three. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll take all four. Um, okay. So my next question is what is the one habit that you formed that has created the most significant change in your life? Getting up early. Mm. Yeah. So I was never a morning person, um, until a couple of years ago. And that's one of the things I felt that if I woke up and I felt behind in my day, sometimes we would just write the day off right? You know, if you miss your first meal of the day, you're like, ah, screw it. I'm on, I, I ruined the whole day. Um, getting up early and having a morning routine. So Brian Tracy talks about eat that frog first thing in the morning. And meaning is if you eat, actually eat a frog first thing in the morning, there's nothing else that day that's going to be worse than that. <laughs> so if you do your hardest task first, eating that frog, the rest of the day is going to be easy. Now, mind you, I'm, I, I don't quite follow that principle, but I do have a morning routine where I get a lot of important things done first, or excuse me, things that help me mentally to, to ground me for the day or to have a great start for the day. So I would say, get up early, stop sleeping in, get your sleep. Mm, I love that. I recently maybe it's like a year ago now, maybe not quite a year. I read like the 5am club and yeah. yeah, I started getting up at 5am and I, I'm annoying to people. Cause I'm like, I love the morning. Like I get my quiet time, my coffee time. I do gratitude in the morning. Um, I get outside and walk or run. So I just think it just elevates the day and gives you so much more time you know, we're always like seeking time. I don't have enough time. There's not enough time in the day. I want to do these things. It's like, yeah, there actually is, but you'd have to haul your ass out of bed at early. And then you can, you know, um, do some of the things that you love or take care of yourself or get through some of that to-do list. So yeah, I think that, um, definitely is such a good habit to have if you want to transform your life or make some good changes. It's funny you mentioned the 5am club because do you know my son's name? His name is, is it Stone Bodie? Yeah, Stone. So there's a character in the book, the 5am club, and there, his name is Stone in there. So that's where I got his name from. Now, to get even deeper, because this relates to everything, when I switched my habits from not drinking anymore, I'm changing my lifestyle and getting my knee fixed out, worked out. One of the first books I ever read was Robin Sharma, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. And that I started to read self-help books um, during this time. So Robin Sharma has always been close to my heart. I love his work. And then when I read the 5 a.m. club like a year ago, I'm like, if I ever have a son, his name is going to be Stone because I just love the character from the book. So that's, that's where I got his name from is that book. 
So cool. I love that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So my next question as a coach, what's the question that you get asked the most? How much should I eat? Hmm. <laughs> All the time. How many <laughs> calories should I, should I be eating? What do I need to lose weight? Um, I, I've done everything and, and nothing's worked. Um, yeah, I could go on. It's, there's, yeah, there's help top, me. <laughs> yeah, there's a top 10 of, of what's going on there. But it, it's definitely how many calories should I eat or how much should I eat to lose weight? Okay. And, and would you say like, I'm not sure there's so many different perspectives on that. Is that like the easy fix? Or do you think it's more of forming better habits for yourself? Or do you think that it is like the calorie count that is crucial? So it's, it's, I, I, here's what I do because I, I, this is how I get an answer from them and to see their habits all without them knowing Justin, how many calories should I lose to lose weight? Oh, how many calories are you eating right now? And like 70% are like, I don't know. So it's like, okay, you don't know how many calories you're eating, meaning you're not logging your food or tracking or paying very much attention. So it's like, why would I give you a number if you're not even right? If you're eating 6,000 calories right now, you're going to lose weight on 5,000 calories, right? So why would I say 1200 calorie? I would never say 1200 to anyone listening anyways. But no, I, I ask them how much they're eating, or I'll ask them something that reflects habits of dedication. And a lot of the times I get nothing. I don't get an answer because they don't know. So then it's like, okay, we have to go back even further. Like sometimes it's not about the calories for the person. Sometimes it's not about the foods. It's about their habits and where they're at. If you don't track something, you don't have awareness. So if I ask somebody, how many hours of sleep are you getting? They're going to guess but if they're not tracking it or how many steps you getting, right. Or, you know, how many, how many reps did you do? If you don't track it, you don't know if you're not aware. So sometimes just being aware first will help reduce people's weight because they start paying attention. Every diet goes from not paying attention to what you eat to paying attention to what you eat. That's <laughs> why it's working the first few months. So that's all we literally need to do is just pay attention to what you're eating and you can figure it out for yourself what you need to do for the most part. But having a coach is great for accountability, direction, and people with more specific goals as well. Love that. Okay. My next question is what values do you want to instill in your children? Um, one thing I've always asked for, you know, when you're like, Hey, what would your three wishes be? One of mine is always wisdom. Cause I feel if you have wisdom, you can do the right thing or find the right answer, no matter what uh, about the other skills. Um, as I said before, play, I think play is very important that no matter what age I want them to be playful, you know, I want them to just have fun. I think that's important. And um, I also think having, you know, some structure and discipline. So my mom was a piano teacher. And when I was four years old, I started piano. And she said, when you're 16, you can quit. You have the option to. So I played piano for an hour a day and I hated it, but it gave me, um, it taught me so much about progression, how to get better, discipline, resilience, and all that stuff and, and pushing through. Um, but still, like, I want to find that balance of play. I think that my, my upbringing was very strict. Yeah, so there's a lot of that in me. But I also have to remember, it's like, oh, hey, we're kids, we got to play. And even as adults, we you know, we got to play, we got to have fun. So just finding the right balance. And I think that all comes through wisdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so what advice would you give to someone who's at the beginning of a journey of transformation. Yes. Um, so I forget his last name. I think it's Dean Graozi or Grazosi or something. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. He has this, just type into YouTube seven levels deep and you'll find this thing called seven levels deep. And what it is, is it asks for your why, but it, it goes seven levels deep. So it's like, Hey, I want to lose some weight. Okay. Why do you want to lose weight? well, I'm, I'm very unhealthy and I want to keep up for my kids and stuff like that. Why is it important for you to keep up with your kids? Well, you know, I never had a dad there, so I wanted to be there for that. And if you keep asking why seven times to the answer, 
you'll get a deep, deep reason. Sometimes you only get to five. It takes a lot to find seven. Um, and I've had people, uh, I've had people come to tears talking about this in my, um, just kind of in my consultation calls to see uh, if we're going to work together. I want to find people's whys. Because if your why isn't strong enough, when somebody's like, hey, let's go drink or let's go eat some donuts, you're going to say, yep, I can, I can start my diet tomorrow. But if your why is very deep and it means something to you, hey, let's go grab a drink. No, thanks. You know, I'm, I'm doing something important for me. Um, so I think finding a why, finding your reason and having it rooted, having it deep keeps you on track because you're going to get pulled off track all the time. I don't think you're ever going to stay on track, right? You're always <laughs> being pulled left, right, forward and back. And just having a strong why and being true to that will get you so much further than any type of motivation or any type of anything else. And I think it's important to understand why you're doing it. Because if you dig deep and you find out you're doing it for others, you're going to fail. Oh, I'm doing this to make me to make this person happy. Oh, I'm going to get my ex to come back to me. I'll show I'll show that person. No, you're doing it for the wrong reason and you'll fail. So I think a lot of my success from my times of struggle has been because, and I didn't know it at the time, has been because my why was strong enough. As I said, if you make things not an option, then, then you don't do it. So uh, I give myself many challenges every month. And last June was no sweet snacks, desserts, or treats or anything like that. That was my toughest one. Uh, one before was no fast food, and the other one was three pieces of fruit a day. Um, but the no sweets and stuff like that, I said, okay, I'm just doing it for June, you know, and I'll make my new one in July. And when opportunities are presented with me, I knew I, I, it wasn't an option. No, no, thank you. Hey, do you want dessert? No, thank you. Ice cream cake. Yeah, but no, thank you. So <laughs> it's, it's just staying strong and true to your word and finding that why you'll, you'll be successful more than you ever thought. Mm, so powerful. I love that. Cause yeah, motivation will only get you so far. And on those days when you are not motivated and don't want to wake up at five, or you don't want to do the workout or whatever, if you know your why you have a reason pulling you forward because it'd be so easy to jump off. Yeah. And I'll, I will say one thing is even with a good, strong, why you'll still fail. And one thing I tell my clients too, is have forgiveness with yourself have some grace with yourself. If you beat yourself up during a failure, don't worry, other people will. Social media will beat you up, right? You don't need to do it to yourself. So if you find grace, if you give yourself forgiveness and move on, it's just a lot more freeing than beating yourself up. So we will fail, but just learn from it. Um, don't quit. It's okay to fail. It's not okay to quit. Love it. Okay. So my last question for you today is how do you want to be remembered? Ah, I don't really care because that's just people's opinions. But what I would love is just kind or great words spoken of me. Hey, did you know Justin Riley? Oh yeah. He was awesome. He helped so-and-so or he helped me do this or he like, I, I just, as a positive influence when it comes down to it and in any, any matter. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't matter what other people think uh, if you, if you want to play both sides of the card, but definitely just, just helping people. Yeah. Mm, love that. So important to, to dig back into that about other people's opinions of you. Yeah. If you leave this earth and you feel great about yourself and you followed your passions and, you know, dug deep inside to figure out what it is that you want to do and you feel good about it, then I guess all the rest doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I absolutely um, love that you demonstrated that vulnerability and masculinity um, can share the same space. I love how you talk so openly uh, about everything that you've been through. And I think it, it will help open some doors for some other men out there that maybe have been through the same thing are feeling the same way, want a transformation or change um, to kind of talk about it and get things out there so that they can start making a change for themselves. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was awesome to be on. I love talking about my journey. 
And uh, I loved all the questions that, uh, that were popped up on. So yeah, it was great. Awesome. Thank you. Lastly, where can everyone find you to check out all the things that you've got going on and the services that you have to offer? Oh, well, unfortunately, or fortunately, there's only one Justin Riley in the world. If you type in <laughs> Justin Riley on any search engine, you will find all my social media. Um, basically, all my social media is Better Ask Riley, my last name, R-I-L-L-E. So if you just type that in or the, the hashtag or, you know, the, the at symbol, you will find me. Better Ask Riley. Better Ask Riley. Okay, so if you have any questions, you know where to go. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.